there, fitness enthusiasts and goal-getters. Welcome to the 80-20 Podcast, where we believe in breaking down the science of health and fitness while keeping it 20% lighthearted and fun. I'm your host, Coach Haley, the founder of Unstressed Athletics, a personal trainer, paramedic, and firefighter. In this podcast, we're going to explore the 80%, the hard facts, the science-backed strategies, and the proven methods that lead to success in health, fitness, and achieving your goals. But hey, we're not all about serious business here. We've reserved a solid 20% for the lighter side of things. Fun anecdotes, quirky stories, and maybe a few fitness jokes thrown in for good measure. Each week, I'm bringing in the experts, those who've mastered the art of healthy living, crushed their fitness goals, and have the knowledge to prove it. We're talking nutrition gurus, fitness pros, and goal-setting champions. Whether you're a seasoned gym goer or just getting started on your fitness journey, the 80-20 podcast has something for everyone. So join me every week as we unpack the 80%, have a laugh with the 20%, and collectively work towards a healthier, happier version of ourselves. Get ready to discover the perfect balance between science and smiles. This is the 80-20 Podcast. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 80-20 Podcast with Coach Haley. Today, we're going to be diving into the world of staying up all night on night shift. So from the adrenaline pumping moments of the tones going off for a structure fire, to the struggle of keeping your eyes open or going back to sleep when you realize it's only a smoke detector that was called into action by a burnt toast midnight snack. How does the night shift affect your health and fitness? Let's find out. Today, I have Sarah Thornton here. She's an advanced care paramedic, and she has her Bachelor of Science in Health Sciences. Hi, Sarah. Uh, Can you just briefly touch on your experience in emergency services and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, Yeah, so I've been a paramedic for, oh my gosh, like seven years, eight years, I think now about. Um, I started working in Saskatchewan for a couple of years uh, as a EMT or a PCP and um, after working there for about two and a half years I'm back and got my 5-0 and yeah now I'm working as an ACP. Do you love night shifts? I hate them but I like to <laughs> come along with them. All right I also have Natika Pigeon here. Uh, she is a primary care paramedic and she is also a firefighter with the city of Edmonton and before that she was a teacher so she is a fountain of knowledge. She was actually my paramedic student, and I got to watch her stay up for the first time all night. And we will dive into that a little bit later. But Natika, can you briefly just touch on your background and how you ended up in emergency services? Yes, it's it's been a wild ride. I actually also I studied sciences as well before I got my education degree. Um, I had started a master's of science, and then yeah, it's been a long road. Ended up doing PCP and getting into fire. And yeah, I'm still pretty new. I've only been two years. Uh, but yeah, Haley and I's first night shift was a good 16 hours. So we had lots of time to get to know each other. Um, okay. And then we also have River Beatty here. He is a paramedic, primary care paramedic, firefighter, personal trainer, and obviously my husband. Um, and he just got off a 24-hour shift. How was it? Yeah, it was good. Uh, one of the lucky ones that we had a really good shift, really good night. So yeah, no complaints. Um, all of us have ac- actively worked or still work night shifts. And it really impacts all of our lives, all of our fitness levels, all of our health. And so I wanted to bring some really fun, awesome people together and provide some information on what night shift is doing to you. And if there's anything we can really do to overcome it. So First of all, what we're going to talk about is circadian rhythm. And your circadian rhythm is about 24 hours, not exactly 24 hours. And they actually discovered this by some scientists just staying in a cave for a really long time, which is hilarious. 
But I'm going to pass it over to Natika. She's going to go through a little bit about what a circadian rhythm is and how it's impacting us. Yeah, so we have kind of two main systems that are working in homeostasis with each other. We have this circadian rhythm and we also have this homostatic drive. So we'll start with the circadian rhythm. It has a bunch of different genes. They We call them clock genes um, that express to uh, fortify sleep pattern. And um, the main or like one of the driving factors to make sure that it stays on our sleep wake, this light dart cycle is SCN or the suprachiasmatic nucleus. So it gets feedback from your optic nerve when light hits your eyes, that impulse gets transmitted and the suprachiasmatic nucleus, the SCN, it uses GABA, which is a neurotransmitter, a common inhibitory neurotransmitter. Um, so it actually, it inhibits the, the release of melatonin. So in your eye, you have your retinal ganglion cells that are rich in melanopsin and highly sensitive to short and high temperature blue enriched white lights. So if you can picture your eyeball on the very back of your eyeball, there's your retina and there are these retinal ganglion cells. Now they communicate with the suprachiasmatic nucleus or the SCN. And that is a structure that is located in your hypothalamus. And that whole system communicates with your pineal gland. So the light information that hits your eyeballs hits these retinal ganglion cells um, and goes through the retinal hypothalamic tract all the way up to your suprachiasmatic nucleus, gets communicated to that pineal gland. And when the pineal gland is being told that there is light present, it stops secreting melatonin. So normally your pineal gland secretes the melatonin causing drowsiness and light actually inhibits that secretion. So retinal ganglion cells that are rich in melatonin communicate to your pineal gland and suppresses that melatonin secretion. That is one half of the story. Just really quick as well, this was kind of confusing to me at first, your suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is really fun to say, um, is actually part of your hypothalamus, which wasn't uh, clear to me initially. So your hypothalamus is what regulates your homostasis, meaning your stability, so your temperature, your heart rate, your hunger, etc. And we're going to get into this obviously more, but the really interesting thing about this is it's not just one way, it's this kind of multi, right? It's a feedback um, both ways. So yes, it has impacts on body temperature, insulin, ghrelin, all of those pieces, but also temperature, insulin, all of those things can have an effect back on this sleep-wake cycle. Um, The other side, the homostatic drive is your pressure to sleep. One of the main driving factors of this is a buildup of adenosine throughout the day. Sleep pressure is a buildup of adenosine that puts increasing pressure on you to sleep. So peak adenosine leads to an irresistible urge to sleep. And most people on night shift have a love for caffeine. So caffeine actually competitively binds to the same receptors as adenosine. That means that caffeine will, for a period of time, stop your brain from feeling that immense sleep pressure from adenosine. If you're wondering when to take your pre-workout, caffeine typically kicks in about 30 minutes after consumption. All night shift workers will have also experienced that moment when caffeine stops binding to your adenosine receptors, and all of a sudden, your brain registers so much sleep pressure. This is also known as a caffeine crash. The last thing to note is that caffeine has a half-life of about five to seven hours. Um, But once you have accumulated lots of adenosine throughout the day, it becomes really, really, or even like days, if you've stayed up for multiple days, it really makes it difficult to stay awake. 
one of the things that I really noticed with that, so um, caffeine obviously competitively binds against adenosine and it pushes it out of there and it makes it feel like you don't have any adenosine in there. But then when the caffeine goes away, you get that crash and you feel like you have lots of adenosine in there and you have that pressure to sleep. But one of the things on night shifts that we'll notice is that the combination of both of those together. So you have your circadian rhythm that's going down and up, down and up. But if you stay up all night, that sleep pressure builds up and it builds up and it builds up. So I don't know if anyone has felt this before, but when I was reading about it, I was like, oh my gosh, that happens to me every time. But your circadian rhythms actually um, come to a peak at around 11 a.m. And so even if you've stayed up all night, you'll have that massive sleep pressure. But because the diff- because your circadian rhythm's up at the top, there's less of a difference between your adenosine buildup and your circadian rhythm. You're going to actually feel that that like second salvation wind that you feel when you get off of night shift around 11 a.m. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm fine. Like I didn't need to Great sleep. Up. I'm great. <laughs> and then around like 3 p.m. or whatever, you just basically feel like you have to die because you're so tired, <laughs> regardless of caffeine or depending on how you supplement caffeine into there. So um, I guess in summary, in the morning, your body temperature rises your cortisol gets increased and it's released, your alertness increases. And in the evening, your body temperature decreases, your melatonin increases, unless of course it's inhibited by light, and your blood pressure lowers and your drowsiness increases. Is that a good summary there, Nautica? I know, Sarah, you're dying to bring up uh, the insulin and, and how your hunger levels are in there, but just sticking specifically to circadian rhythms, do you have anything to add? Um, I would honestly just add that uh, with the circadian rhythms, just because this is relevant, um, absolutely, like the, the SEN plays a huge part in it, but there's also like a integration also found within the hypothalamus of the arcuate nucleus or the ARC. Those two things are really what create that negative feedback loop um, in order for us to like actually have the um, circadian rhythm and then like night um, night or like light input into the um, body sort of feed into one another. But I think that's just important to mention off the top. I will totally. And I think that my biggest confusion of all of this was that you have your circadian rhythm that oscillates and it does not matter about light. It will automatically oscillate whether you're in a cave for forever or you're in our normal life. The things that impact it though, like your light response can reset your circadian rhythm, if that makes sense. So light influences it by a lot, but if you don't have any light, it still just continues as So I guess the next thing I wanted to do was just have a little break from the science and talk a little bit about the personal experiences that we all have with night shifts. So um, maybe let's start with you, Sarah, because we haven't really heard much from you yet. Um, do you remember your first night shift? Yeah, okay. My first night shift on car was ridiculous because it was actually a 22-hour shift that we ended up working. I was working at Integrated Service still in Saskatchewan um, as a PCP then. Um, and the way that the service works is we were integrating the hospitals for like a 12-hour shift, right? But then you're obviously rural, so you're on call for basically seven days straight. Um, so for your 12 hours during the day, you're integrated, you're doing whatever hospital stuff or you're responding to calls and then you go home and you're also just still carrying a radio. So we worked our 12 hours in the hospital. We did a couple calls, whatever. Um, and I was on my way home, um, in this little small town in Saskatchewan. So it'd been about like three seconds of time off really from the hospital. And we got a transfer from Kindersley, Saskatchewan to, um, Saskatoon for a very non-urgent patient that definitely could have waited until the morning. So after working for 12 hours, we then had to go back to the hospital, load up, grab a patient, and then transfer them to um, Saskatoon. But at the time, 
<laughs> we're not very um, enforceable standards, I guess, about like drive time and whatnot. So we worked our 12, we transferred to soon. Uh, it's a two-hour drive there. We waited for probably six hours or so in the hallway of RUH, and then we had to drive home. And it was terrible <laughs> because <laughs> I had no experience or no exposure, really. Like, I stayed up before, obviously, right? But it's different, right? You got to be on. You're, like, trying to not hit deers and stuff. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> trying to stay awake. Like, <laughs> trying to, I don't know, like, me and my partner is ridiculous. Like, we were both exhausted, right? So we had actually, it's raining men. Um, and then there was one more song too that we were just circulating through, like rolling the windows down, hoping that the minus four degree weather would keep us awake, laughing stupid songs, trying to keep each other going kind of a thing. The, the hard time the next morning was even harder, but you know, we did it. <laughs> I just love watching like River and Nautica's face too, because we can all personally relate to this so much. Like yeah. there's so many times that I've had the windows down in like minus 30 outside, but I'm like, oh my gosh, that air is going to keep me awake. It's fine. You, know, it's <laughs> you get any much warmer and you're going to immediately pass out. <laughs> and it is absolutely astounding to me with all of the studies that there are on sleep and how like drowsiness is and actually can be worse than drinking at the wheel. And yet all of us are expected to drive like sometimes for 24 hour, you said 22 hours for you, Nautica's first night shift was 16 hours. Like that is astounding to me. It is wild that we do this yeah. and it's, it's so exactly. bad for you and so ridiculous. When we consider too, that there's been implications or like, like, um, uh, I guess restrictions put onto people practicing medicine after like, depending on where you're at, like 12 to 16 hours, but we're fine to drive for some reason. Like our, our rationale and our like reactivity has obviously gone down. It's not safe to treat anyone, but definitely operate heavy, heavy machinery, no problem, right? <laughs> yeah, no big deal. No big deal. Uh, River, do you remember your first night shift? Um, yeah, I, I definitely do. Um, my first night shift was on the medic as well. And I think that uh, actually for this one, I probably came into it a little bit overprepared, maybe a little bit oversleeping, not knowing what to expect. Um, but with that being said, like your rhythms are still all out of whack. So even though you kind of slept ahead of time, try to sleep during the day and stuff, as soon as that 2am, 3am rolls around, you're still hitting that same fatigue block that you are. Um, doesn't really matter. Like at that 2-3am is kind of when you crash no matter what. And I think those are the hardest times to stay awake and really push through. So um, I would say, especially driving, but even times of like sitting in the hallway or whatever, it's, it's incredibly difficult to even stay awake, even though you're in a light environment, it's just adapting to a schedule of two day shifts, two night shifts is, and then switching back on the four days off. There's not a lot of time to actually switch over and to be a night shift, um, worker. There's I no guess. time. It's, it's literally, yeah. it's so bad yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah. And all like the kind of core mobilities and stuff and, and health effects that come along with that are just like absolutely absurd. Um, not a cat. I can personally like attest to being at witnessing your first night shift. And I remember you sitting at the kitchen table, literally being like, I have never stayed up all night. This is wild, <laughs> you guys. I'm staying up this entire night. And like, it was so awesome. And it like, didn't matter because we got called. It was like the first like wave of COVID restrictions lifting like the Canada Day long weekend basically that was my first night shift and it was just a wild ride we were never at the time like I was under Haley as a preceptor in St. Albert and I don't think we saw the station we were just in Edmonton the whole time and got looped in there the vortex the black hole yeah 
it was wild. I think my adrenaline and everything was going because it was my first night shift. So I don't remember like getting tired that first night, but we had like a whole string of like 16, 17 hour night shifts. And then, yeah, I remember it really weighing and like trying different things. Like, do I nap beforehand? How much caffeine works? Like, when do I eat? Like trying to figure out what's best and just feeling horribly hungover the next day. <laughs> For me, it like really showed me a part of your personality, Nautica, because every single tour you would come in and be like, Kate, so I did this like experiment on myself and I tried napping at this time and it's, it's not working. <laughs> but every time it was like, it's still terrible. I still feel like over the next day, no matter what I do, it's just awful. Um, yeah. Yeah. I remember I was kind of like, uh, you, Nautica, where I kind of came into emergency services a little bit later after doing like some time with the U of A and stuff like that. So I remember like, I was so scared of missing a call. Like I was so scared I was going to sleep through a call. And I remember uh, because at that time in St. Albert, they sectioned the girls away from all the guys. And obviously there was only like four out of 150 of us. So as a student, I slept in like the senior man's room with the door shut. And so I remember just like laying on that bed in like full uniform and just being like, so I'm supposed to just like sleep right now, <laughs> sleep right now. Like, is that going to happen? And then obviously the tones went off and we just like did whatever. But yeah, I just remember just laying there being like, so like now what? In full uniform, but like <laughs> just on top of the blankets, like sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was legit what happened, Sarah. <laughs> I love that. I love that for you. Um, just say what our biggest struggle has been with night shift. Um, for me personally, just developing that routine with my fitness was absurd. Um, going into workouts exhausted or not knowing when to do workouts. And then as well, just basically eating the entire time I was awake <laughs> was not great for me or my health. Sarah, what about you? Um, yeah, actually, mine is specifically related to food. Like, I, I find that I'm starving usually throughout night shift, usually too, if it's like the beginning of the shift, and then probably around like 11 or midnight is when I'm like, oh my god, I need to eat something. But I'm mm -hmm. also incredibly nauseated at that time, because <laughs> your circadian rhythm is planned and says, why are you eating right now? This is absurd. Um, so trying to find the balance between those two things um, is tricky sometimes for night. Yeah, totally. Uh, River? I think for me, it's managing not having a caffeine addiction. I think that like when we work <laughs> night shifts and stuff, it's it's just too easy to get, you know, caught up in drinking caffeine all night trying to push through and get through it. So um, raise yeah, your just hand. Finding rhythm and that. <laughs> <laughs> if you think you have a caffeine addiction. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I also think for you specifically, River, I have heard you speak about driving as one of your like even to this day if he has to drive and he's like somewhat sleepy not on shift he'll be like screw this I'm not driving I'm way too tired I can't do it this is stupid because of his like experience and trauma related to driving when so tired <laughs> oh yeah totally like there's definitely been times on night shift where you know you close your eyes for three seconds and you don't know if it's been three minutes or three seconds and you're just you're kind of burnt out right like it's it's not something you're necessarily proud of but it definitely happens and I think that even the the risk associated with driving when you're that tired. It's just like, I mean, fatality is, is, is highly probable in that scenario. And, and that's why they are um, classifying it as equally as dangerous as being intoxicated. Uh, Nautica? Yeah, I really struggle with the fitness aspect and just getting in workouts. Um, sometimes like I'll be really jittery before trying to go to bed on night shift. Now um, 
that I'm off at the ambulance and in fire if we have like a couple really crazy calls but right before bedtime then I'm like super jittery so I try and like move around a bit but like then the next morning trying to get a workout in is like devastatingly difficult (laughs) um I'm kind of like my stomach is wrecked in the middle of the night so I really don't eat unless like we have a big fire or like a huge alarms call or something that like I will pass out if I don't eat something otherwise like I really can't force myself to really eat yeah totally I'm gonna move over into hunger night shifts and kind of how that all works together so um Sleep deprivation impacts the way that you crave food. And I'm going to let Sarah kind of dive into that. I know she researched it a little bit. She's awesome. I'm going to sort of loop back to that ARC component. That's what I was kind of talking about during the intro there. So um, like Natika had uh, mentioned as well, of course, like our our circadian rhythm, um, satiety and and, um, homeostasis and stuff like that is very heavily influenced by the superchiasmic nucleus, as uh, stated. Um, But like I was saying, the arcuate nucleus or the ARC also plays like a, a heavy role in being able to um, moderate those two things. So of course, like the, the SEN is um, responsible mainly for um, being able to not only detect, but then also communicate to the rest of the body, like changes in our environment, whether that's daytime or um, uh, light exposure or all of that kind of stuff. But the ARC is what responds to um, our body and then communicates back to the SEN. Uh, yes, I'm hungry. No, I'm not hungry kind of a deal. Um, it's actually kind of cool that ARC is the one part of our brain um, or one of the only parts of the brain that doesn't have any blood-brain barrier protection, which means when we're um, experiencing things like an increase in, let's say, BG, like your, your circulating glucose levels or your leptin or your uh, whatever, any any kind of hormone, right? Um, it's the first part that's sort of activated in your brain that says, hey, um, our glucose levels have increased. So, you know, no more need for um, that increase in in uh, hunger or anything like that. So when it, when it comes to like a typical feeding, et cetera, or following like a, a daytime um, schedule, your SNC starts to, oh, it's actually really cool. So there, there's two components of it. Um, there's a direct stimulation of the SNC on your um, motor neurons or like your, your uh, somatic neurons. So for instance, let's say you're in a period of fast, the SNC would be uh, the part of the brain that directly stimulates your liver to start the uh, glucolysis um, process, right? So that you can increase your um, blood sugar levels. But then also indirectly, your SNC through the VPN, which is also part of your hypothalamus, will say to the ARC, all right, I keep saying SNC and really what I mean is SDN. I've confused those letters so many times throughout this entire part. So sorry. <laughs> That's um, okay. Your SDN <laughs> indirectly will, will communicate with the uh, ARC and say, hey, um, I just let the liver know that I need a little bit more glucose here. So I want you on high alert for any of those circulating hormones that, that might be released. So the SNC directly stimulates the periphery while indirectly stimulating the ARC. And then the ARC is looking and, and monitoring very closely for the hormonal changes that are going to be um, coming, I guess, right? Based on A, whether or not you're hungry, and then B, whether or not you actually act on that hunger and, and take a food bolus, right? Um, so then that ARC then uh, contributes sort of to the negative feedback loop once you're glycolysis or if you're eating, you know, once, once glucogen or uh, glucose sort of is reintroduced to the bloodstream, ARC is able to say back to the SNC, hey, I've, I've had enough to eat. Um, we're ready to kind of uh, shut that down. And then the SNC will modulate and, and um, respond accordingly. Um, but with night shift um, or if you're in like a, a nocturnal sort of life, if you're living that, that way, 
um, we cause like a direct um, severing almost of the communication between the ARC and the SDN. Um, so that feedback loop is actively um, like stopped almost when we switch ourselves from a typical daytime act activity to a uh, nocturnal. So I guess ghrelin like activates your hunger and leptin kind of suppresses it. And when you're sleep deprived, deprived um, your levels of leptin actually decrease and your ghrelin increases, making you hungry. And then on top of that, you have that whole feedback loop that you just talked about and you're exhausted. So um, I guess that kind of relates directly to when you are famished and when you are or when you're feeling famished and when you're tired, you're more likely to reach for those high carbohydrate, high sugar snacks as fuel um, in order to feel somewhat full if you do actually end up feeling full from that. And you'll also probably reach for more salts and more fats um, to try and get those signals sent to the brain more. And I think all of us can relate to being like two in the morning and just being like, I need to eat something right now. At, at that time of night, there's nothing really open for you other than like McDonald's or Wendy's. Um, sometimes even those places are closed. Like I've had the experience of actively trying to find a place to find food and literally McDonald's is the often the only one that's open at 24 hours i know at the u of a hospital they have the wendy's and the tim hortons like right across and i was learning as one of the things part of my night shift was that that closes at 11. we did that together several times <laughs> go in search of food in the middle of the night while we're stuck at a hospital yeah well i think when you talk about like high fat high sodium is kind of like what your body's craving or whatever yeah, yeah. yeah. sausage and egg mcgriddle from mcdonald's nothing hits better at 3 a.m <laughs> like like Based on that recap, yeah, 100%. I, I could go for that right now, River. Um, I was just going to say that, like, it, it's curious because obviously, given just, like, the logistics of when you're on night shift, we're more all more prone to, to opt for a McDonald's or whatever. Like, that's sort of what your body's craving at that time. But exposure to high fat, like, um, desires, I guess, like, when you do actually act on that, um, it can have an immediate modification um, because you're food intake is basically shifted to the resting phase when you expose yourself uh, to high fats like that, um, meaning that the activity in the SNC uh, decreases significantly and then activity in the ARC, which is sort of like your inhibitory um, phase increases, which means your metabolism goes down significantly. So your craving for these high fat, high sodium foods increases. You take them, you, you eat it, right? You go get McDonald's, whatever it is. Um, but then your ability for the body to like process that um, and modulate appropriately and keep you from wanting to you know reach for more fries or whatever it is goes down um and it's harder for you to digest too right that's what exactly. you're saying as well yeah. yeah 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 no it's super interesting it's basically like night shift is your worst nightmare essentially like <laughs> you're driving exhausted which is super dangerous um you are eating more high fat food because your body is telling you you need them but you can't actually digest them properly and then on top of that um you're exhausted and it's really hard for you to get any fitness or exercise in, which would be one of the counteracting things to this whole nightmare. Um, so with that, um, we'll talk a little bit about fitness timing and the night shift. And so when I started researching this, the first article that I found said, when setting fitness goals, a night shift worker should target basic fitness, maintain a healthy lifestyle and avoid setting goals that include building muscle, building strength or running long distances or gaining endurance. So basically it was, like the advice, the first article that I read basically said, if you're on a night shift, it's impossible for you to make any fitness gains, essentially. Just try to do as much as you can. You're basically screwed no matter what you do. 
So that's awesome. Um, <laughs> I hate that a lot. Uh, but I am going to push it over to River, who looked at some articles in relation to exercise timing um, and night shift. And yeah, so we can talk about, um, let's just start off like super broad. So there's kind of like two systems in the body that um, we can change the clocks with, one being like the central clock and then one being the peripheral clock. So when we talk about eating or uh, fitness and exercise, that's more acting on our peripheral clock and how we're able to adapt that. So when we think about um, exercise and stuff, we can talk about timing as being a big one. So they did a study, they were studying rodents and stuff, and they were doing it uh, max performance in the afternoon as a comparison to max performance in the morning. Um, what happened was the group in the afternoon ended up having a uh, higher performance than the group in the morning. Um, and after an, a six-week period of consistency, the morning group training in the morning and the afternoon group training in the afternoon, they found that the group in the morning was actually able to adapt and have that same um, endurance output or, or strength output and may have happened is their chronological clock may have actually adapted and changed uh, five hours forward um, to be able to adjust their performance. So um, I would say the most consistent information is it's, it's consistency is kind of our best friend in this. Um, there is direct correlation between exercise and uh, having a increase in um, sleep quality and duration. Um, that's very prominent in all the, the studies I've looked at. Um, but when specifically going back and talking about the, the timing of it, it was uh, alluded to that if you have a performance goal of uh, competing or a competition, whether that be endurance or strength, and you're going to be competing in the morning, it may be slightly better for you to consistently for six weeks or so train in that time zone uh, leading up to. Um, hmm. But if we talk about uh, night shifts or like even kind of working out or exercise before bed, um, there's a few different factors you have to think if you're going to do high intensity exercise or anything like super exertional, give yourself like a three hour buffer before you need to go to bed as uh, more or less. And there's a kind of a few reasons for that. One of them being your core body temperature. So as we're doing high exertional, um, exercise, our core body temperature rises and that can have some effects as we all know our core body temperature likes to drop as we go to sleep. So there's an effect there. Um, as well as the adrenaline response as we're putting ourselves through that much stress and adrenaline um, we could kind of be fighting the melatonin release or the uh, cortisol and able to like bring us back down and get us kind of sleep ready so those would be a couple of the big factors i can speak to this from personal experience and working out after a night shift is not really ideal or optimal in terms of either performance and or sleep um, trying to achieve any performance goals or like you alluded to Haley. um during a night shift or, or transitional sleep is not ideal. Um, you're going to go into the gym and you're going to feel that fatigue. Um, it would be better to opt for more lower intensity exercise if that's kind of your last resort and just getting something like, you know, swimming or maybe like a lower intensity cardio to get you through that. Um, but I think the more optimal way to train would be to um, do your training or exercise before the shift starts. Yeah. So I kind of uh, researched this a little bit as well. And I did find they suggest that you don't exercise like one to two hours before your bedtime. But they also did a lot of studies that just said it doesn't actually really matter that much as long as you're not doing that high intensity exercise, like what River was saying, that will kind of make you feel more alert. Overall, I think the main takeaway from this is that trying to find a routine and a way for you to complete exercise is overall going to be the best thing that you can do. I plan for more maintenance workouts or rest days on those days. And then I plan for like my big performance workouts to be on days when I can get enough sleep. But um, the other takeaway point from this, I think, is when it comes to circadian rhythms, we all know that where we all just talked about how light can impact and change your circadian rhythms, shifting them one way or another way. And exercise can kind of do the same thing. And I think um, like these strategies wouldn't work for a normal uh, two day, two night shift rotation. But if you're looking at like jet lag or trying to get like um, 
kind of adapted more to a long-term schedule. Maybe you do like a two week on two week off and you're going in for two weeks and nights. You can kind of help with the switch in the system just by promoting that wakefulness and alertness by exercising more in the morning. I'm going to come back to everybody. And if they have a story that they want to share about their night shift. Um, I think the the biggest thing that kind of took me by surprise is, is most of the world is on um, the same circadian rhythm in the sense that um, there's not a lot of people up at night and moving around. Like it's, it'd be pretty abnormal. Right. So um, when you're out on the ambulance and you're kind of cruising around downtown um, it was almost eerie to be downtown. Yeah. I would say that would just kind of be like the main kind of thing that stuck out to me is like most of the, the city is kind of synced up and following the same schedules. And if you're out of line or you're out of it, it it's, it's abnormal and it, it comes across that way as well. Um, yeah. I mean, like I, I agree with her. Right? It is, it is like uncanny almost when you're, the only one seemingly that is awake. I think it is really weird too, River. Like I, I know exactly what you're talking about. To be like the guy that's awake when you're like looking around, you're like, oh, these bitches are. Oh, sorry, all these people are sleeping. <laughs> um, <laughs> so many people are sleeping, and I am the only one that's awake. Lovely. All right, one of my best calls for this summer. This summer, just discussing it was like the week after um, Stampede, or maybe the week after that. Um, we got called to like downtown Calgary. <laughs> we got called down by an IFT crew who had been like transporting a different patient from hospital back to their residence or whatever. But we got called to, by the IFT crew because when they came back out, <laughs> like 3 a.m. when they came back out of the senior's residence, there was a woman standing on top of their unit fully naked because she had just had, I don't know, some kind of a situation with a couple of dudes in the back and so they came out she's like standing like straddling their windshield just leaking away looks over her shoulder <laughs> the medic and is like i had a really bad night now is not the time and they had to call for help to their isp there's like an emr and pct they have no idea what to do now they call for us to get there <laughs> wow. and they're having to dart her anyway there's one of those situations where it was like this would only happen at 3 a.m. because nobody else is around and like this is just what happens when the entire city is asleep except for us and this woman and those dudes apparently you know what I mean um, oh I totally yeah. know it's so funny when you're rolling into those calls and you're just like how is this happening right this now? Is <laughs> no one can make this you can't make this up like, no but like it's the middle of the night so no one else sees it so no, there's no other you. witnesses it's you your partner and whoever else is there <laughs> yeah oh man it's like to the point where you like look around you're like is this real life yeah because you're not like nobody's awake unless something bizarre is happening so we got called for a head trauma i, I was on fire for with so we had a full crew and um we're looking for this head tra trauma and it was a car first party caller so it was the caller that apparently had a head injury and um they were on the phone with our dispatchers still and like leading us on a merry goose chase like this person was mobile and walking around with this head injury so we finally tracked them down like on a path between a bunch of houses and there was three of them there and they're on bicycles which is why it took us a while to track them down um but the head injury was that they had a bug in their ear and all three of them were convinced that there was a bug in there. They're like, yeah, we all saw it. And this guy's like freaking out. They obviously were having some good time together. And, um, but it was hilarious because everyone was super overtired. It was one of those like 
we got a call and then you like are barely back to sleep and then you get another call so you're like even more just like completely disoriented yeah but then so my crew is like i saw it i saw the bug there is a bug in this guy's ear and we were like we had like flashlights on i was like i don't think there's anything in this guy's ears so finally like the medics show up and they're like there's nothing in your ear canal and all my crew was like completely convinced it was so funny (laughs) that is really funny Um, I was just going to share, I don't know um, if you remember this, Nanika, but one of my like most angered times ever in EMS was during a night shift. And it was this old man that was Italian. I don't know if she can, she remembers, I can tell. Um, <laughs> so we like go into this call and my partner's like, I'm great with Italian people. And he just goes in and he's like, bueno, bueno, bueno. And he just keeps saying bueno over and over the again. The only word he knows in Italian. <laughs> So then this guy is, like, asleep, like, fully asleep. And so I, like, try to be nice and, like, go in and be, like, hey, like, are you okay or whatever? And then I'm, like, hello, hello. And then, like, I start getting louder, obviously. I'm, like, hello. This guy just, like, full-on wallops me, like, right in the stomach. Like, he just gets up out of nowhere and just full-on wallops me in the stomach. Sucker punch. So I was mad. I was, like, really mad. (laughs) I was just, like, immediately, like, back away. And I was, like, all right, this is not acceptable or whatever. And then my, my partner's just like, you just didn't say bueno enough. He doesn't like you. It's like, how would you like to be woken up in the middle of the night? And yeah, I had to leave because I was so mad for a little while. And then I came back and it was all fine. But um, <laughs> lack of fair, sleep, really. <laughs> he was pretty scrappy, that guy. We picked him up a couple of times. He was always pretty scrappy. That makes me think of uh, like, oh, that one night shift that we were working and uh, there's three of us again. Uh, um, it was coming to the end of the night. We were on like hour 15 or whatever, just about to get like houred out. And uh, we we went to this abdominal pain. We went in and, and she had been kind of bedridden for the past like 10 days or so. And her abdominal pain turned out to be like severe constipation um, that was happening. So she hadn't had a bowel movement at least a week. And um, she's kind of a, a bigger, heaviest set lady and probably um, not too active. So anyways, we got her up on our feet because she was either going to come to the hospital with us or whatever. And she decided as soon as we kind of stood her up that she wanted to lie down on the ground. Uh, Haley and I go and we go to help her back up and we help this lady stand up. And as soon as she kind of stands up and goes to push with her legs, um, she's no longer constipated. And it's <laughs> absolutely everywhere. So she's like, oh, I think I may have to go to the bathroom right now. Okay, so no, I like... have to interrupt because this is actually what happened. This happens, and immediately after this happens, River's like, all right, well, I think you'd probably be more comfortable with a female, right? And then him and the other guy just ruthless. I don't, I don't know what to do right now. I'm going to give a couple things that I do within my daily routine to help uh, navigate night shifts. So for me, like I like to look at a 24 hour clock when I'm dealing with my nutrition. So essentially, if I am going to work a night shift, I make sure that I start recording my calories over a 24 hour period instead of a 12 hour period. For my fitness routine, I really like to schedule ahead of time and work around my night shifts because I know that I'm going to be terrible in the gym during those days. So if it's going to be a performance day, I'll typically make sure that I have that eight hours of sleep. Um, and then if I do want to get some workouts in on those night shifts, which typically I like to do, I find that I sleep a lot better. Um, it has been proven that you do get a deeper, more quality sleep. I'll just make them be more maintenance days. So it'll be more like, um, steady state cardio or a really easy kind of smaller muscle group, like doing like an arm workout or something like that. No, I think that's good. I think, um, yeah, working out before shift is kind of a preferred method as well. Um, and then in terms of just eating or whatever throughout your night shift, I think some preparedness can go into that to kind of mitigate your 3 a.m. McDonald's run sort of thing. So 
Um, whether that be, you know, you're at a fire hall and they're all cooking together, you could take your meal and put it into two and save half of it for later um, to kind of have with you down the road. Um, or if you're not, then just kind of have some meal prep and some healthy options, maybe some like uh, higher protein, lower calorie, uh, more like high volume foods, I guess, that you can continue to snack on throughout the duration of the night while still hitting your macros. Um, Natika, I'm curious if you ever perfected like when to take a nap. <laughs> I actually, yeah, I find that, you know, that 11, I'm like around noon is when I usually feel sleep pressure. But um, there's, there, I think there's like two pieces. There's the managing during your night shift but also the like getting back to a good rhythm so uh I'm kind of similar where at to river if for eating during night shifts I try and keep like high volume crunchy foods can actually help with alertness so I tend to have like celery and carrots and things on hand and then like protein shakes that like aren't sweetened with sugar but like give you that sweet kind of like satiation and still being high protein for the adrenaline spikes and things during night shift uh our tones are super loud the lights come on it is super startling um i try and get rid of if i'm feeling jittery i do like a steady state cardio or really light workout with lots of rest so i'm not building up that body temperature um right before bedtime and then i have like a sleep like meditation podcast to get back to sleep after calls and even if i can't get back to sleep i enter kind of like that deep rest non-sleep where you're still getting into those restorative brain waves even though you're not completely unconscious and it kind of like help with your restorative like the body restoration that you would need overnight and then there's lots of like river talked a little bit about working out the next morning versus during the day um also eating so uh there was a jet lag study that suggested if you eat a big meal in the morning of the time zone you're going into that can drive also your sleep wake cycle so if i think i'd like to try and pair those two things together so like Go for a steady state workout in the morning, get rid of any excess cortisol, that kind of stuff, regulate the hormones that way. And then also have like a really good meal as like breakfast Then I'm usually good. Yeah, until like 12 o'clock and then I need a little bit of a nap. And we didn't really get to touch on like REM sleep or like sleep spindles or any of those exciting things. So uh, maybe we'll do another podcast later, really focusing in depth on like sleep. This episode is more focused on what to do with dysregulation because we're all dysregulated and um mine are like pretty similar to both the uh, river and because i guess right like i mm-hmm. it's it, i do tend to go for like a run or something like that um beforehand i just find that it helps to i don't know function better i guess um and then when it comes to food just because i i am obviously a bit more sensitive to uh nausea and all that kind of stuff what i will do is like i, I have normal normal caloric like food if it is maybe a little bit more um high fat or something like that um if i do have something like that that's packed either for my shift or you know prior to the shift it's always consumed before midnight and then after midnight if i have anything like if i'm hungry or if i i need to, to eat something like that it's always very similar to Natica, like something that is crunchy and usually like lower caloric intake. So whether it's like celery or carrots or something like that, just to kind of keep me going. I find that if, if I eat like too late in my shift, I stay awake um, and it's harder to get to sleep after my shift is over. Right. Um, and then having a big meal after my uh, shift is done usually helps as well. But same deal, usually around noon or so, I'm exhausted and need to kind of go back to sleep or something. Yeah. So I think kind of what we all found is there is specific ways that have been proven to kind of alter your circadian rhythm a little bit um, in terms of your alertness, your ability to fall asleep. 
and get that good quality sleep. And so I think your meal timing, your exercise timing, your exposure to light are all very, very important. What I consistently found was that the minimal amount of sleep that a human should get is around seven hours at the minimum up to nine or 10 hours. And I, I know from my experience that when I first started six hours or less was quite normal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, it so. shifted. It shifted because it used to kind of be like, oh, six to eight is kind of where we want because yeah. you can sleep too much. And then now we know that that's like, that's not the case. There's also evidence yeah. to suggest that females will require a little bit more too, as well, depending on what time cycle they're uh, experiencing your shift at. Totally. Um, yeah, it's a very complex topic. Um, there's so much that goes into it in terms of what's happening in your brain, what's happening when you sleep, all the things that, that affect it. Um, so I guess just in closing, like getting that seven hours of sleep is probably the best thing that you can do. And then all of those little tips and tricks we talked about in terms of all of the modifiers to your circadian rhythm and how to best plan your routine would be the second best thing. Um, I just wanted to let everyone know as well, um, just because we just started doing this as a first responder, you can do a consultation and sign up for free programming with us um, at Untrust Athletics. So that would be more pertaining to me and River. But um, within that, we can go through some of the things maybe within your routine that you're missing um, that might help you and shift you to get back to feeling more normal and being able to complete those fitness routines because um, we all struggle with them. I just wanted to thank all of you guys for coming out today to help and doing some research. Um, Sarah um, and Natika, like, thank you so much for giving us such a good insight into circadian rhythms and hunger. And obviously, we're never going to get the picture of a lady standing on top of an ambulance outside of our heads now. <laughs> it's burned in their face. <laughs> but uh, it's just been so much fun. And <laughs> yeah, thank you for having us, Ailey. Yeah, thank you for having us. So yeah, fun. No worries. All right. See you guys later. See ya. And that wraps up another episode of the 8020 podcast. A huge thank you to our incredible guests who bring the expertise and insights to the table every time. They're the real MVPs of the 8020 podcast. If you loved what you heard today, hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And hey, if you have any burning questions or topics you'd like us to cover, please reach out. Remember, health and fitness are journeys, not destinations. So whether you're hitting the gym, going for a run, or just taking a moment to stretch, keep that 80-20 balance in mind. As we sign off, stay fit, stay focused, and keep that smile on your face. This is Coach Haley signing out from the 80-20 Podcast. Until next time.